Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to inspire and feel good about your money. I'm Marika Fino, a woman in my 30s, ex-trader in the city of London, a yoga teacher and the owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversation on money, mindset, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. Hi, Zakaria. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. No, I'm super excited. Really happy that we're meeting. So you're based in Melbourne in Australia and you're an elite pro eToro investor. And that's the reason why we're talking today. You have $15 million in asset under management, over 130,000 people following you, your trades, your portfolio, and over 10,000 copiers, which means they actually replicate what you do. And your goal is really to help others, but as well yourself, achieve the best possible return, uh, minimizing luck and drawdowns. Does it sum you up well? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I aim to do. And that's kind of the mission in life. Sounds good. So can you tell us a bit about you and when you started investing? Yeah, sure. So I started investing when I was really young. So I was, when I was 21 years old, it was uh, my birthday and I brought a check to the brokerage because that was the legal age you could open an account. So by then I already had like three years of experience or something because I, I really love markets and my dad encouraged it. So it's something I did. So yeah, I've been trading for forever. I loved it. Started when I was still in school. But yeah, I, I joined eToro only in 2016. It was still a very new platform back then. But the reason I joined it was actually an interesting story. So my dad passed away. And before he passed away, he just told me, you know, like, go after my mom and help her with the finances and stuff because he knew I like finance. And one of the things that I found was that if you're a retail investor, you don't have a lot of money. Everyone's trying to sell you something. It's terrible like, as a retail investor. Everyone's trying to sell you something. It's a chorus. If you're a banker, you're trying to sell this like really expensive mutual fund or whatever have you. And, you know, there's certain fees involved. So I looked at eToro and said, you know, this is kind of makes the most sense. You have someone who has to put his own money in. Uh, so he can't like, you know, just blow everything out off at one shot. He has certain requirements, certain educational requirements. And all that just solved this problem of who can I trust? Because he, on eToro, you don't have to trust anybody. They act in their own self-interest. So like for elite pros, you basically have to have like $25,000 minimum, which is maybe not a big sum, maybe not a small sum, but something you wouldn't want to lose overnight. That's for sure. So it allows you to align interest. And I think that that was really powerful. So I joined eToro back in 2016. And uh, yeah, that's the story of how I started on eToro. <laughs> nice. And eToro, for people who are following us, it's an investment platform. There's plenty. The only particularity that you can actually see investors' portfolios and copy their trades. So that's really like an interesting feature. And so on your side, you invest in undervalued assets with a macro outlook, which means if we define a bit the jargon, you're actually looking at cheap assets compared to their potential. And you're looking at trends, probably in the world's economy and geopolitical issues to actually pick your jewels. So how do you do that? 
So idea generation is kind of the hardest part of what I do. It's always finding like the gems, right? Uh, I tell my copiers, I spend like 95% of my time looking at trades and like 5% actually executing it. So you don't see most of the work I put in. But yeah, it comes from like, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I, uh, the ones that you're doing now. I have a lot of stock screeners and I have a lot of subscriptions to various platforms and that really helps. So that's your starting point, right? So someone gives you an idea on a podcast, that's the starting point. Then how do you develop from there? So if it's like, a, if it's a stock, then you start looking at the balance sheet, you start looking at the income statement, look at the historicals, how have they done, then you look at management reports. So that's kind of where it starts. And then from there, you just take it. If it's something a bit more like broad scope, economical, then you start looking at, you know, like non-farm payrolls or it depends, like currencies is non-farm payrolls, things like that. Okay, so a bit of statistics and a bit, of course, of research within each particular stocks. And what kind of research do you do? Because there's three, oh, there's two, but you can do a mix of both. Either fundamental, where you're going to look into, as you said, balance sheet and really try to find value there, or technical, which is looking at graphs. So this is a really great question. And I get this question a lot. Do you use technical or fundamental? So one of the things that I think that I bring to investors, especially any retail investors, is there are actually more styles than technical and fundamental. Think about like value investing, right? That's one of the most popular. It's a certain type of style. You can classify as fundamental, but a certain type of style. If you look at growth tech stocks, which have been very popular as of the last 10 years, right? That's a certain style. Is it fundamental? Is it technical? It's kind of both. So within each style, like how do you maximize your return and reduce your risk? I believe the multi-strategy approach is the best. So yeah, so in the last 10 years, if you invested just value and you didn't do any tech, you would have just been crushed. But if you just did tech, the last two years, you would have been crushed. So it depends on which part of the market cycle you're in. I think you can diversify yourself away like and do a lot of different things. It really helps like the way that you invest. And that's what I love. I really like doing this kind of uh, research. It's difficult. And I, I will not say I'm an expert any one style, but I just do like the bare minimum to get by. And that's been good enough. I think I've done like pretty well on my Toro account. I think that's why I have a lot of followers. And I believe the philosophy gives me a, like a big edge over most of the other retail platforms and how other people invest. Yeah. And what kind of sectors, just being curious, so what kind of stocks at the moment are you quite bullish, which means like you truly believe in? <laughs> Oh, no, I believe in a lot of stuff. So right now, uh, there's a great company that I'm looking at. It's called Daniels, right? It's a, it's a shipping company. And if you look at the balance sheet, it's amazing. Like, I love the balance sheet, just looking at it. So again, this is not financial advice to anyone who's listening because we're not, not supposed to do that. But yeah, the balance sheet is amazing. It gives a great return on investment. And so the fundamentals are great. And everyone hates it. My favorite kind of investment is something that everyone like dislikes. That's the absolute best. If everyone hates crypto, that's where I want to buy the most crypto, you know? So yeah, Daniels is shipping and everyone doesn't like it. So it's great. Another thing that I'm really holding on to is I'm holding on a lot of Chinese stocks because everyone hates China. So I'm going to buy like a ton of Chinese stocks. I have uh, something called China Construction and the other one is uh, Sinopec, which is a petroleum company. So that's kind of interesting. I, I, I do enjoy these. And going on the another tangent of... Um, Multi-asset also have a dollar uh, CHF position, which is dollar Swiss franc. Because yeah, everyone hates the dollar. So it's fantastic opportunity. 
So you're actually pretty contrarian. So contrarian means like going against the crowd. <laughs> but if you look really at value, maybe you can find actually your, your jewels there. So interesting. Yeah. And for your research, what tools are you using or how do you follow the market? Which sites or tools would you recommend for individual investors? Because not necessarily everyone would have access to a Bloomberg. Even I don't have access to Bloomberg. Bloomberg is like really expensive. Coinfin is a great um, tool. Seeking Alpha is a great tool. I really like Seeking Alpha as well. Yeah, it depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at, oh, I just discovered this like recently and it's the most amazing tool that everyone should have. It's called ChatGPT. <laughs> it's changed my life, completely changed my life. How do you use it for investing? I'm curious. Oh, it's amazing. Because um, let's say I, I find a stock that I've never heard of before, right? You start with like, okay, ChatGPT, tell me a little bit about the stock. How long it's been trading for? And tell me its business segments. So then it breaks that down for you. It does it very quickly. You don't have to read like the end report or anything. It just breaks it down very quickly. It's like, okay, find me the profitability over the last five years and then it just populates it. It's fantastic. It's like absolutely fantastic. You just got to ask the right questions and it gives you a great picture. I love it. Mm. So it enables you to have all of the information in one place instead of looking at websites, reports, downloading stuff. Yeah, it's way easier that way. Exactly. It's, it's so much easier and it just saves you so much time looking at different sources of information and you can just find it on ChatGPT itself. It's amazing. I, I love it. <laughs> so let's talk about strategy now. And in your investment strategy, so you're in for the long term because you want to beat or have the best possible outcome for 20 years. And so I guess you're based on accumulation, which means that all of your profit or dividends are reinvested back into your portfolio. They're not distributed as a kind of passive income, for example. Is that correct? Yeah, so the way that eToro works is that it's always reinvested at all times. I personally, I don't withdraw from that account because of the way that eToro is managed. But yeah, I just like to compile my investments as much as I can. But I mean, let's be practical about life. There are things that will come along. I just had a kid, so baby's a huge expense. It needs to come out of somewhere so that, you know, life takes over, you know. As much as possible, accumulate, but life will take over. That, that's kind of how I see it. And yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot to say this. And it's something I really appreciate about your podcast, Marika. It really looks at the spiritual aspect instead of stressing people about money. I think that's so important. And so many people like miss that step and they go straight to investing and they become this like huge stress ball and it just makes no sense. It's not meant to be this stressful. So you coming in before people start investing, it's an amazing service. And I really, I mean, I would recommend people to really look at what you've been doing. No, so sweet. Thank you so much. No, but it's true that I work with clients who have already started, but they don't feel that financial peace of mind because they don't really understand what they've been sold or what they've done. They don't understand about their fees. They don't understand about the underlying products. And so they don't feel in control or other people who have not yet started, but they want to ask themselves the work questions to get it right, like first time. But yeah, really appreciate it. It's really thinking ahead through strategy, goes risk, term horizon, fees, everything together to make links so that then you have something that really suits you as an individual and um, where you're completely aligned and empowered because you've made your own choices. So that's, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs>
I, w- I want to kind of talk a little bit more about that because I do have a lot of investors and I must say this, it's, it's quite interesting. So they come to me like in three months, they're like, why are you not performing? I'm like, it's been three months. Like, why are you stressed out over three months? He's like, expected to have like 10% up by now. I'm like, that's kind of not how the stock market works. It's not an ATM machine, you know? And so if you dig behind that, it's really because of the stress. They invest in the stock market because they expect some kind of return like immediately. And it's so dangerous because I think TikTok and YouTube and all that, they sell this to you, right? It's so easy to make money in the stock market. It is so hard. It is so hard to make money in the stock market. And they sell it to you like it's easy on an ATM machine. It is not that way. And so when people have this like screwed up relationship with investing, it messes with them. And if they don't get the rest of it right, then it stresses their family, stresses all their finances. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. So what you do is super important. I think people really need to get on that. I mean, and I really appreciate what you say, because on top, I think we only remember good stories. We never remember about someone who actually lost the money, who actually lost a fortune, lost an investment. But yeah, you see everywhere on social media, I've heard like so much, oh yeah, it happened by miracles, these kind of things. But clearly, yeah, if you're in the long term, it's really not the mentality you should have. So, And can I ask you, in terms of your portfolio, what does it represent compared to your overall wealth? So I believe in like almost absolute transparency as much as possible. So I display my wealth on, on my website itself. So I have 50% on eToro and 50% in bonds and stuff like that. So everything is verifiable. It's on my interactive broker's account. And this is another thing that grinds my gears. If anyone's trying to sell you anything on YouTube, they should be able to show you their portfolio. In this world where they're like API keys and stuff like that, they shouldn't be showing you bank statements with like blank dot stuff. It makes no sense. So I, I display all my, my uh, stats like kind of uh, transparently and all my investable assets are basically for the world to see. So 50% in eToro, 50% in bonds. That's kind of how I'm targeting right now. Super nice. And I love that, that transparency as well because you have nothing to hide. And it's funny as well what you said because I coached a couple and I've just met them in Lisbon because they arrived in the city now. And so we met for the first time in person. And so they rented out their flat in Paris for an American couple. And as a a guarantee, the American couple actually gave a copy of their investment portfolio. And it was hilarious because in France, it's really not something that you would think of. But again, very (laughs) different culture wise, but I I just loved it. (laughs) And do you have any real estate or not yet? Yeah, I do. So I have a... And this, like every jurisdiction is kind of different. So in Singapore, we're required, I'm in Australia now, but in Singapore, well, I was, we're required to pay something called a CPF. Uh, it's like in Australia, with superannuation and things like that. So those assets go towards buying my house, but I don't see those as investments at all. I see it as like lifestyle hedge, you know, I wouldn't see it as like, oh, I'm buying a house to invest. I don't see it that way. So it's kind of different. Yeah, and and I totally understand the difference. (laughs) Sometimes, yeah, it's really like for your pleasure or, yeah, you want to feel a home somewhere, but it's not necessarily an investment where you can draw on it or, yeah. And um, another question I have is at the moment, I have the impression with high interest rates from saving products that sometimes can reach up to 5% or even more in some countries, 
What would you say to investors who actually a bit in between, they don't really know if they should invest or just keep the cash because the extra risk having an investment portfolio is not necessarily worth the reward at the moment? Yeah, so another great question, by the way. So everyone has to remember that, you know, like two years ago, the 5% risk-free rate was actually closer to two. So now it's at five and everyone's like, oh, why should I you know, invest in all that? So my answer to that is always taking a barbell approach, which is again, what I do and show everyone that I do. So I put a lot of it either in very low, very safe, which is bonds, or put it in very, very risky. So I see it as two different portfolios. So maybe what you want to do it, or what you can do is like, you know, if I'm feeling like I need the money in a year or something like that, I put 90% of my assets into something very safe. And then 10% to something very risky. Or if you're feeling like, oh, you know, I'm in that stage of my life where I can take a little bit more risk, then maybe balance the portfolio a bit. 60% risk, 40% safe, whatever have you. Uh, you can do it in whatever tolerance you feel like it. My tolerance right now is kind of 50-50. So that's kind of where I'm hanging. I may increase it a bit more depending on where your life takes you. And having that flexibility is so important. One thing about people who do real estate is a very liquid instrument and it's very hard for you to toggle that risk. But, you know, in stock markets, it's very liquid, so it's easier to do. So that's kind of how I balance it. And for those extremely risky investments, I mean, you look at my portfolio, I invest in like Bitcoin and stuff. So it's none of it is safe. <laughs> I'm expecting to lose 30%, you know, at some point in my life, 30% drawdown is going to happen. But while I'm at it, you know, I'm going to do my best to not do it. I'm going to do my best to get as much return as I can. So, yeah, I think I've done pretty well for myself. And I think the approach of philosophy should do pretty well for a long time more. But yeah, I'm hopeful, you know, it's just managing a downside is so important. Though. Absolutely, because it's what I always say to my clients. I'm a super optimistic person in general in life. But for investment, you always need to look at the downside. Why? Because if something goes better than expected, then you won't question anything. It's just, oh, great. Whereas if it goes worst or not as planned, it's where emotions can come over. It's where you can actually feel stress and do whatever is not in the plan, this kind of thing. So yeah, always better to be ready, even though you would not be pleased, but you would be just okay because you understood that actually with that level of risk, you have to lose in some ways. Yeah. And uh, I'm interested in um, financial freedom. Is it something you're actually working towards? Because it's really a theme at the moment. To be honest with you, I love finance. I love it so much. I don't ever see myself stopping. I have not so much for financial. I'm personally not into financial freedom that much. I believe that to have a meaningful life, you must have something that you work towards meaning. So I believe like fire is such a good thing like fire barista so having you know what you're passionate about but being able to have the means to support yourself i think that's great but it must be something that's meaningful to you so what's meaningful to me at the moment is i think retail investors it's very difficult for them to get reliable financial advice and that's my mission and that's going to be my mission for a little while longer until the world catches up with me and suddenly my services are no longer needed then i'll say i'll retire until then, I think the market is still quite skewed and um, people are still trying to sell you things every day. I still go on YouTube and everyone's trying to sell you this Forex course or whatever have you. And it's uh, it's pretty much nonsense. So yeah, I'm going to, I think I'm going to be around a little bit longer, but <laughs> not, not financial freedom. I just enjoy what I do. Yeah, I like the mentality and it links as well to the way you invest because you're about accumulation and so everything is is connected. 
last question, any last words or advice that you would want to give or share with your experience in the market? What have you learned? What is your best memory or worst moment? <laughs> no, I, I can give like, I can give a couple. Like, but yeah, I think the best advice I can give is first sort out your relationship with money, especially if you're not in finance, sort out relationship money. If your primary objective in life is to be good at programming, for example. I know a lot of programmers, right? So then you want to be good at programming, then how much do you want to risk investment and how do you want to manage that? Sort out your relationship with money first. That's probably the most important. So go and see Marika, go and sign up for her services and listen to the podcast. Best thing you can do. Second thing is um, just be very careful of anyone who wants to sell you something or someone who says that, you know, that I can 10x your money or whatever. Just be very, very careful. And unless they can show you like undeniable proof, like just don't believe it. But yeah, especially on day and age of social media, just be very careful of the kind of information that you get because it makes you very envious, you know, of other people are doing so well, but they're doing so well could all just be lies. So just be get careful of that. Yeah, I think my worst memory, I can think of a few. One of it is I invested in Russia a couple of years ago and I didn't think they would invade and then they did. So, and on that day, I actually lost like 20% in that position and I sold it. It's horrible. Like anytime you see war and anytime your investments like kind of looks like supporting and supporting war, it's, it's terrible feeling. So that's a really bad memory. But I had a really good memory recently as well. Like one of the stocks that I bought, it did, it's called Simo. It did really well. It went 80% in one day. So that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> did you sell or did you expect it would still continue to, to carry on? No, I sold it because, you know, you have a thesis. So this particular trade is called merger arbitrage. So what happens is that the company is going to be acquired, but the market doesn't think it's going to happen. So this is where those, you know, I like to buy stuff no one likes, right? So it's like trading at $40, you're going to acquire $80. And um, yeah, the market didn't think it was going to happen. And then it happened. So this, the price shot up and I sold. So I got very lucky on that trade, but it was a very good memory. I got very, very lucky, I must say. And I, and I love the fact that you say you actually sold because it's way harder actually to sell rather than to buy because buy, we always have ideas and opinions and, and so on. But we're selling, we always have the impression it's not the right moment. So if the stock has increased so much, you're like, woohoo, I, I, you should continue and actually will not. If it's gone down, you're like, oh no, I don't want to realize the loss. But maybe actually you could buy something else which make you better anyway. So <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, for all these investments, they're like kind of very well defined. So it's like, okay, if this happens, I sell. If this happens, I buy, you know. Even now I'm holding Bitcoin, right? It's a very defined reason why I'm holding Bitcoin. The ETF is a proof you sell. So, it's, you know, you really define your parameters. So the emotion doesn't really get in the way. Yeah, so something like that. It's, yeah, finance is so tough. Like, there's so many factors to consider. And emotions is such a big part. Like, and yeah, I don't know. If you're a retail investor and getting to it in the first time, it's tough, man. It's really tough. <laughs> this is why I do what I do, because it's so tough. Yeah, But I guess you learn it today and the, the beauty of it as well. Exactly. And I'm still learning. I got to admit, I'm, I'm far from being perfect. I still make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Zakaria, for sharing all your experience, your strategy, the way you work, and um, yeah, just transmitting the passion that you have or, or that you're actually doing with Itoro. It's beautiful to witness. 
So thank you so much and um, thanks for your kind words as well. And uh, yeah, keep in touch because I really like it. Yeah, nice chatting, Marika. Appreciate it. Nice. Take care. So that's the end of this episode. I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website, marikafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.